Hey there. You have made a good choice by choosing to listen to the podcast that uh, I'm happy to host with the Noata Methodist Church. We uh, are pretty faithful, in my estimation, by seeking the Lord through His Word. We know how important His Word is. As I saw in meme form this last week, a story is not Scripture. Uh, of course, there are script, uh, stories in Scripture, even so a lot of the preaching model of a lot of pastors today is just to tell a really good story undergirded by a line or two of Scripture. That's not really how we do here. Uh, what we do is we cover a lot of ground scripturally. Now, during Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas, the, two, the four primary uh, liturgical seasons of the Christian year, we deal with four separate Scripture readings that are then uh, tied together by a uh, a uniting theme. So this last Sunday, the theme was um, the the new name that God calls us by, and what it means to be children of Abraham, children of the promise. What it means are are we supposed to be circumcised or not? You know, th- these are things that are very much practical, very much dealing with the heart of faith and of sanctification, and and what our life with Christ is supposed to look like. So it's a worthy topic, and I, I urge you to, to really give yourself, give of yourself, be available as I, I preach at you for a bit. I got contacted by a woman this week from, uh, I want to say, North Carolina, listened to the sermon from Sunday, was just very profoundly impacted by it, and I was really glad she sent me an email because a lot of times it's easier to feel like, oh, nothing's really happening with preaching. I sure love preaching, but sometimes it's easy to feel like, mm, maybe what I'm talking about is not so important, and um, that that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm talking about the most important things. It should be a blessing to anyone who listens to this, and if, if, if you're not interested in Christ, then you're not going to like it. But if you are interested in repenting of your sins and walking in newness of life and knowing what salvation is, then this should be a most welcome message for you, and I pray that it is. I pray that it's a blessing to you. I, I pray that it helps you to grow closer to your church family where you are, or find one if you don't have one, and uh, that most importantly, that it, it draws you closer to Christ, because He alone is the uh, taproot of our salvation. Enjoy. Our Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 16 which you can find on page 21 in your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, My covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. 
And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man, every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man-child in your generations, he that is born in the house, or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall, be her, shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot to cover here, and there's no way that we can do it all and the other readings, so you'll have to forgive me for only picking on some things. But here, Abram has already been following God for some time. God has called him out of his homeland. He's gone down to the land of Canaan. He's gone up to Egypt. He's come back up. He's been through many adventures. He's put his life on the line. A lot of his life still hasn't even happened yet, and he's 99 years old. We'll come back to this uh, in Romans, wherever it says he might as well be dead at this point. He was near death. And yet God has made this covenant with him, and it's a good covenant. It's a very good deal. He says, follow me and be thou. Do you remember what it said in verse? Yo, somebody caught it. Perfect. I was picking on it just before this. Uh, he said, uh, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. That's, does God give us things to do that we can't possibly do? Not without his help. No, he doesn't. So God made Abram, Abraham up to the task of following him as he ought. And remember, Abraham is the model of faith. He was so faithful as to be willing. Once God fulfilled this promise to give him a son, Isaac, one day the Lord told him, go and sacrifice Isaac, and Abraham was willing. It was only because God stayed his hand that, that he did not do such a thing. Abraham is the model for faith and righteousness for us today. As we're going to, you know, for those of you who were here a year ago, I preached through Romans Romans is very clear. Are we children of Abraham? Absolutely we are. We are children of the promise. These promises that God made to Abraham are likewise to us. So the question is, how do they apply to us? A lot of people read this and go, well, this is pretty clear. If I'm in covenant with God, then I, if I'm a male, and any male children I have, need to be circumcised. Now, this is something that we don't talk about in polite company for obvious reasons. It involves the genitals, but... It's important that people know, if you don't already, that God was speaking very literally about male genitalia. There's some extra foreskin at the end of one's uh, reproductive organs that they would just cut off. And a lot of people in our culture, that has happened today because about 150 years ago, there was this social phenomenon called philosemitism, where a bunch of white people in Europe and in America just said, let's be like the Jews. And they named their kids things like Hezekiah because they just thought it was cool. I don't know, there wasn't a good reason for it. But listen, friends, 
In Galatians, that's a book in the Bible, the New Testament, Paul is absolutely clear we do not circumcise our male children anymore. If you are a member of the New Covenant body through Christ Jesus, you don't do that to your kids anymore. Paul, this is the angriest he ever gets in the Bible. There was this crew of guys. I know I'm talking fast. It's a lot of information to cover, but pay attention. There was a group of people in the early church called Judaizers. They would go from church to church full of people that had been washed in the blood of the Lamb and told them that their faith wasn't good enough because they hadn't been Jews first. And so they needed to join the Jewish covenant, and then and only then could they follow Jesus rightly. So Paul followed them up, and he said, no, 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 no. If you circumcise and you become a Jew, you're going backwards. Our covenant is better, actually. Nothing against their covenant. He doesn't disown their covenant, but he says the Christian covenant is better. We're not going backwards to the law of Moses, okay? And when you, sat, when you circumcise your kids, that's exactly what you're doing to them. You're setting them up under the law, and under the law is damnation. You don't want to do that. So Paul gets so angry, he says, those circumcisers, I wish that they would just go ahead and cut their whole member off. It's the meanest thing said in the New Testament. It's really cruel. And that's how angry he is about it. That's how big a deal it is. Now, all that out of the way, in order to be right with Christ Jesus, and God, do male and female believers have to be circumcised in any sense? There it is. Okay, I set it up right. Okay. There is a circumcision of the heart that's expected, that is spoken of throughout the New Testament scriptures. It's identified with the new birth, the new man, taking off the old self, putting on Christ. Okay, there's a lot of biblical language around it. The theological concept is regeneration. If you, do not, if you are not spiritually circumcised, then you cannot be saved. So this is something that all of us, we would look at this and say, we agree, God, in order to be in covenant with him, you have to be circumcised. But first off, it's not just males now. It's males and females can have the spiritual circumcision. Now, so the, 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 pro, the promise then was that if Abram would have the spiritual circumcision, God would bless him with land and with progeny that he would make a kingdom out of him and a great land out of him. And he meant that quite literally. Abram was the father of Ishmael first, who became a great nation, and then Isaac second, who also became a great nation. Meant that very literally. But we, who we already covered, are children of Abraham. We are also a great nation unto the Lord. Do you know this? Yes, we're Americans here. There are believers in Kenya. There are believers all over the world. Our primary identity is not found in the country in which we reside. It's in our heavenly land to which we belong, which is called the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom first before all things. We are that nation that was promised to Abraham when we are children of the promise. Now, what about, so we've been promised progeny, that we'd be a nation, and we've been promised land, and all of that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus and the promises of eternity. So that's how Christians have typically read this. Now, I want to come back to the beginning of this reading and talk about this thing that God did to rename Abram. He renamed him Abraham, which means father of many nations, renamed his wife, Sarai, not even to her face. Abraham just came home and said, I'm Abraham now. Call me Abraham from now on. And oh, also, by the way, your name is now Sarah. And she might get upset, but Sarah means queen, you know, so... Uh, it's not so bad saying, I'm going to call you queen from now on, you know. There, he's, there, these are not the only renamings in the Bible, of course. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord in the middle of the night, who he asked uh, to rename him, and he was, he was renamed Israel, of course, one who wrestles with God. Also, in the New Testament, Jesus renamed Simon, right? 
into Peter. And so, do you know what I'm going to show next? Show this slide, right? Oh, you can't see it. Ah. Well, show it on the projection at least so I can um, um, remember exactly how. It, it has a comic of Jesus and uh, Simon Peter at the bottom. We're not going to see it. Oh, here it is. One of Jesus' most underrated alpha moves is just assigning new names to his followers. So uh, Simon says, greetings, O Lord, my name is Simon. And Jesus says, hmm, I'm going to call you Peter from now on. And that's, that's kind of what happened, actually. You know, but this is what God does. You know, what, if somebody came and tried to rename you, said, you don't look like a Cody to me. From now on, you're going to be Tijuana, you know. <laughs> you would be like, uh, no, my name was Cody. I was, I was christened Cody as a young man. This is what people call me. Why, why does a name matter? What does it mean when God renames us? What is that conveying? Say that again. That we are his, absolutely. Were we his before? Sort of. So we're thinking about, okay, remember in the Gospel of John, it says to those who believed, who, gave power, who were born again in his name, he gave the power to become sons of God. So when we're born, we're born in sin. We're born alienated from God. Cody's still giggling that I called him Tijuana. But he adopts us and he gives us new names. So there was another scripture from uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. I should remember that the projection was out. Just so used to it, I've become handicapped. Um, okay, so let me read this to you because this is important. Was it verse 17? Yeah, okay. He that hath an ear, let him... This is Jesus talking, by the way. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth, save he that receiveth it. So the notion is that all of us are one day are going to be renamed by God. We'll receive a new name. And the thing that that conveys, yes, it has to do with being God's, but on a more fundamental level, it conveys a change in identity. So whenever we refer to someone's name, that, that name is a signifier for their identity. So whenever I'm looking at Whitney, I'm saying Whitney, that signifies not the etymology of her name, but all the things about Whitney. You know, when I look at Sarah, Sarah Beth, I'm not thinking about, I'm thinking about all the things that make her her. My name is what it is. Our names point to who we are. When God says, nope, now your name is this, he's saying you're a different person now. Does God get to do that to us? He's the only one who gets to do that to us. He's the one who says who we are. Here's where it gets really weird. Do I get to say who I am? I don't. Children, what is our only hope in life and death? I don't belong to myself. I don't get to say who I am. God says who I am. Have I been washed in the blood of Christ Jesus? Well, then that means that now Christ is in me. And I in him, and I have been remade in his image. That's called regeneration. I've already taught you this word. I don't get to say, oh, no, 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 God, I, I've always been a sinner in this way. I'm really quite hopeless. You need to give up on me. I'll follow you in these ways, and then you leave me alone here. God does not negotiate with terrorists, okay? And you're a terrorist over your own soul. Do you know this? Sometimes you're your own worst enemy. He don't negotiate with you. And the church is not engaged in the mission of sin management, okay? We don't, we don't compartmentalize and allow for little sin here. No, God says, be thou perfect. And then he gives us the power to be perfect. And he gives us a perfect name, the name of his son, Christ Jesus. 
So that's the whole project that began with Abram. God renamed him, gave him a new identity, a new covenant in which to live. God has been doing that ever since. God promises to do that in its fullness at a future day. But for here and now, right now, the majority of churches we run into are engaged in sin management. They think there's really no hope for being thou perfect. They think there is no hope for the Holy Spirit really sanctifying us all that much. We're never going to be holy. We're always going to be these worldly, sinful creatures. God is just going to have to accept us anyway. Friends, that's not the good news. It's just not. That's a cheap counterfeit of the good news, which is Christ in you. We talked about this in Colossians. Christ, who is the center of the universe, for whom everything was made, in whom everything uh, resides and, and sustains he is in you now, and there is a holy war going on, and you get to play a role in it. And the sad thing about most Christians in America is they have uh, just uh, sat down on the job and chosen to be uh, consumers, uh, spectators, rather than warriors and participants in their own salvation. And that's really a tragedy. I can't, I can't change religion in America. I can't even change you, really. But I can provide an opportunity for you right, near, right, right here, right now, to understand that God's claim on you is not cosmetic. He's not asking for a few little tweaks here and there. He's not asking anything. God doesn't ask. He has told you, oh man, what he expects. And then the question is, are you going to give it to him or not? That's the thing that I'm presenting you with every week if I'm, if I'm good for this. And then the answer of faith that I'm always desiring, and forget me, that God is requiring, is that we repent. We give up on ourselves and we walk in newness of life. We put off the old self. We walk in Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer. Yet thou art holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried and were saved. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He committed his cause to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. They divide my garments among them. And for my raiment they cast lots. But thou, O Lord, be not far off. O thou my help, Hasten to my aid. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you sons of Jacob, glorify him. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hid his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From thee comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That first line, we've heard it before. Jesus said it on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did that for two reasons, probably more than that, but two I'm going to focus on today. One is to go, look, what's happening right now was prophesied. Jesus died on the cross, right, surrounded by enemies. He was wearing a single-piece tunic. They couldn't divide it up amongst themselves, so they cast lots for it, right? So that was 
They divide my garments among them, and for my raiment they cast lots. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Jesus is saying that psalm was about me. And it starts off from a place that we can all identify with. Why am I feeling so forsaken by God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's not where the psalm stays. Rather, it goes into uh, uh, you're holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. And so it turns into this testimony that even though sometimes we feel like God is not with us, he actually is. He's fighting for us and we can put all our trust in him. So tie that to the, script, the hymn we just sang, Trust and Obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, right? Tie that to Abraham, who we had our first reading about. He trusted in the Lord, he believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what this psalm points to. It starts from a place of despair, and it leads in a direction of hope. So I'm going to be talking about this theme as we start talking about the, the call to obey Christ and how it is we're supposed to live counterculturally, if we have worldly concerns, we are going to shut that down, be afraid, be faithless. We need to intentionally name that, rebuke that, and choose a faithful path forward instead. So with that in mind, let's, let's hear from our third reading then from Romans. Our New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25 which you may find on page 1587 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. For the promise that he, came, that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of, all, of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was not delivered for our, our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I preached on this passage more fully whenever we were doing expository preaching through Romans last year. 
the particular uh, problem passage, or at least for me, that where there is no law, there is no offense. We talked about there, and I don't. We don't have time for that today. Uh, but I just would reaffirm: there is no salvation outside of faith in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if the law is introduced or not. What the bulk of this reading spends its time talking about is how there is no salvation found outside of Christ and how those who are in Christ are the children of Abraham insofar as they are children of faith. So it said, um, um, verse 18, Abram against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. How was it so impossible? It said, he considered not his own body, now dead. He was 99 years old. He was knocking on death's door. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet did the deathness of Sarah's womb. Sarah was done having babies, all right? I'm not going to give a basic biology lesson here, but women's bodies at a certain point can't make babies no more. She'd gone way past that. And yet Abraham believed that God was able. Now, let me ask you, medically, is it possible for two people of this age to procreate together? Medically, if you go to the obstetrician, they're going to say, sorry, buddy. I mean, at this point, if, it's, if a woman gets uh, pregnant after the age of like 38, they call it a uh, geriatric pregnancy. Yeah, she's getting up to like 89 years old at this point. No 89-year-old is going to be carrying a baby to full term, even getting pregnant. Okay, this is what's called a miracle. Okay, do Christians believe in miracles? Okay. So, uh, according to science, do miracles happen? No. This is something that exists outside of the framework of the world. Now, that's not to say that science is the enemy. Science was designed by Christians, okay? It occupies a whole worldview designated by Christians. But also, God is not limited by the frameworks that we create, amen? So, partly that's what this is about, is the world creates norms. The world creates expectations for how things work, right? One of the things that we don't understand about the ancient world is they were as skeptical as we are about miracles today. We always say, oh, back then they were all just gullible and dumber. There seemed to be miracles everywhere. They weren't very They weren't scientific like we are. You see how we worship ourselves a little bit? People have always been skeptical of miracles. They always have been. Even if the, the prevailing worldview was not scientific, it was something else. They were, they were skeptical of the resurrection, which is why the resurrection is so important. They were skeptical of every healing, every speaking in tongues event. These things sustained because they passed the test of time. God does miracles. This is on the front end of faith. If you do not believe that God can do miracles, you, can, you can't be a Christian. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not even sorry at this point. It's, it's in our creeds. I believe in the Virgin Mary. I believe that a virgin conceived and had a child. Can that happen medically? No. Unless you're in the Star Wars universe, in which case that's stupid. In real life, that does not happen. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, only by a miracle, does it happen. This is front and center in the faith. If you cannot receive and accept miracles, you can't follow Jesus. Jesus was a miracle. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus foretold a future miracle day of the Lord where all of history stops and everybody is judged according to their deeds. If you can't believe in the smallest miracle, how on earth are you going to believe in that? Are we children? Are we heirs of the promise? Are we children of Abraham? Yes. Are we circumcised? Yes, with the circumcision of the heart. 
we're receivers of the promise, but that promise comes only through faith, only through the belief of Abraham. If you don't have that faith, if you don't have that openness to miracles, to the supernatural, to the new birth, you cannot walk rightly with Christ. There was a, a section in here. I wish I'd looked at, man, I should have just read along in my Bible. It described, oh, here it is, verse 17. Before him whom we believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, that means he makes alive those who are dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's a weird way of saying he, through his, do you remember what God used to create in the six days of creation? His voice, his word. He said through his powerful word, let there be light. And there was light. God's word is powerful. When he speaks, it creates things. And when he calls you by a new name, you're a new person. You see how I'm connecting this to the beginning here? This is something that we have to come back to over and over again. Do I still resemble what I did before I knew Jesus? If so, odds are I have not encountered him rightly. God changes us. Prolonged exposure to radiation is going to change you. Prolonged exposure to, I used to watch in a, uh, I used to work in a toy store called Zany Brainy. They played kids music all day. That kids music started to change my mind, man. I heard it in my dreams. I would dream toy store music and then I'd go to work and I'd hear toy store music. And that's a terrible metaphor, but that's what the truth is. Whenever you're, you're, you're living and walking in faith, it changes who you are. And if you're not changing, it's because you're not drenching yourself in God's word like you ought. You're not being drenched in his spirit. You're taking micro doses, and that's not going to be enough. This is your truth now. This is your identity now. There's an episode of The Office where uh, Andy has a meltdown, has a terrible, he punches a hole in the wall. He has to go through anger management. And he comes back a couple weeks later, and he says, okay, everybody, now my name is Drew. And Jim just says, nope. No, <laughs> you're Andy. I'm going to call you Andy. And that's what the world does to us. We receive a new identity in Christ, and we say, I'm a different person now. And the world goes, no, you're the same as you've ever been. And it takes great integrity on us to say, no, I'm not that person anymore. You can go knock at the old house, at the door of the old house I used to live in. I don't live there anymore. I'm not going to come to the door. I'm a new person now in Christ. You're not going to drag me back into who I used to be. I'm done. That guy is dead the guy you see right here now, he is in Christ Jesus. You can't, you, you, the old guy's gone. Hold a funeral. He's not here for you anymore. I am. That's how dramatic this thing is. You know, I, I grew up in a culture, we don't like drama. We keep everything contained and controlled. Thank you. But this is as dramatic as a death and a being, you know, God quickens the dead. He brings to life those who are dead. Can God bring life to these old bones? Absolutely, he can't. It's not even hard for him. He's working these miracles daily, folks. The question is not can he. The question is will we, will we let him in our lives? And it's not that we can stop him. It's that he lets us. He gives us over to ourselves. If we want to stay dead in our sins, he's not begging you. He's not begging you. But if you come to him, he doesn't turn anybody away. Don't we have a good God? Our fourth reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, which you can find on page 1407 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, who's that? Jesus. He's teaching them about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests 
and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, the same will save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Wasn't Jesus such an encouraging guy? He was just always speaking words of positivity on people. Jesus didn't bow at the altar of positivity. That's a modern uh, competitor for the faith of Jesus Christ nowadays. There are a lot of people who think, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to always be positive, you know. Some people take it to an extreme. They're called happy clappy. Nothing against clapping, but I'm glad we don't have a happy clappy church. There's times to be happy, but there's times to be very serious. Jesus' words here, are they serious? He says, anyone who's ashamed of me and of my words. You know, most people are not ashamed of Jesus, you know. Most people, they love Jesus. They got their own version of Jesus in their head. Oh, they love that Jesus. But when they start talking about the words of Jesus, Jesus, how, some, how, how are these for offensive words? If you want to follow me, if you want to be saved, you need to deny yourself. All those urges you have, all those feelings you have, those things you think are important, they're not. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. That's an instrument of suffering and shame and death. Take it up. Carry it around with you. Take up your cross and follow me, he said. Jesus, what, did he just seem like a real happy, clappy guy? Some people, that's what they see when they read the Bible. I don't see that. Jesus suffered a lot. He was upset a lot. He was disappointed a lot. He says, you should live like me. He's, he's called the pioneer and forerunner of, in our, of our faith in Hebrews. He shows what salvation is like. And so we walk in the way that leads to life through him. And so here he's talking about, he's with his disciples and he's saying, Here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get tortured. I'm going to get publicly humiliated and shamed and killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter is not having any of this. He goes, that sounds like a terrible plan, Jesus. Why is that the plan? How about you stay alive? Don't go through that. We put an army together. We kill all these evil guys. And we establish God's kingdom on earth. How about that? I'm, I'm very certain that that is pretty much what he was talking about. And does Jesus receive that well? Oh, you know, Peter, you just don't understand some things, you know. I, nothing against that plan. Mine's just a little bit. No, he doesn't do that. He says, get behind me, Satan. Once you call someone Satan, can you expect to be friends with them after that? I'll guarantee you that's the end. If I go about my life, it's only a few hangers on. Sarah Beth might hold on to me if I called her Satan. I'd like to think you would. 
But most of you are going to be like, we need a new pastor. He's calling us Satan, guys. You know, uh, that's just not a way to be in relationship with people. But Jesus does that to make a point. He says there are two ways of going through the world. One is earthly, worldly. One is spiritual and godly. And these two are often opposite. He doesn't say this. This is me kind of taking liberties. Sometimes heavenly and worldly can be close together. You and I are heavenly creatures, hopefully, born again in Christ Jesus, living in the world. But even so, we are animated by a different spirit, aren't we? We're supposed to be. So there's some overlap between heavenly and earthly, but when you live your life according to worldly principles, you are exercising your own damnation. Exercising not like casting it out. Uh, you are participating in your own damnation when you continue to give in to your worldly mind. Worldly mind says stay alive as long as possible. Stay as safe as possible. Don't offend anybody. Don't do anything that could uh, cause people to leave you. You need as many friends, as much money as possible. You need to stay alive as long as possible. That's the voice of the world. That's the voice that was coming at Jesus, and he was saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> How old was Jesus when he died? 33. He was younger than most, well, about half of us here. We like to think of Jesus being at least in his 40s. No, the guy was 33 years old when he died. Do we go, oh, poor Jesus, he didn't have a full life. If you feel sorry for Jesus, you're getting this wrong. Jesus is the center of creation. He is the most blessed, the most glorious. He showed us the way that leads to life. It, it's not a long life. It's not full with a big family and a pretty wife and a big car and a big house and a nice car. All these things are are idols presented by the world to distract us from Jesus. All that God cares about. What is it? Faith. Faithfulness. That's it. That's what every reading has been about today. God gives us a new identity that just doesn't care about that old garbage anymore. You remember Paul? He went through the whole laundry list of, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. I was instructed by Gamaliel. I have all these treasures that other people yearn for. He says, it's all garbage compared to the faith I have in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing that we should care about. That's the one thing that the world is doing everything it can to distract us away from. That's the one thing that this community here is focused on. Faith. Aim towards holiness. Be thou perfect, God said to Abram. That is the call for all children of faith. That's the call we're answering now. We set that bar exactly where Jesus set it. And we trust that in his spirit he will get us there. Just like Abram trusted that God would create a baby between him and another woman, the both of them as good as dead, it said. God can create things out of nothing. God can create life out of death. God can create a new identity in you that you can't imagine. And even more scandalous than that, your enemy that you hate, that you think is just never going to be a good guy, he can be changed every bit as much as you can. That person who's been awash in alcohol or meth or depravity... That guy who's cheated on five different wives in a row, you know, and women are equal sinners. Those people that you would think that if they walked in here, the ceiling would fall in on them, the roof would fall in on them. Those people can be saved every bit as much as you and I can. It took a miracle to save me. God has already worked miracles in my life. It took a miracle to save me, and I am no easier. Nobody is any easier than anybody else. It's not like God said, well, Jeffrey, you know, he's like a five, but, you know, uh, that Cody, he's like an eight in sinfulness. Oh man, he's really going to be rough. That's not how it goes. God easily, the moment you turn to him in faith, you cry out to him in faith. Faith is what saves. Faith is what God gives. 
He gives mercy. He gives understanding. He gives blessing. That is the God we serve. But if we don't seek it, if we don't want it, he's not going to give it to us. Jesus said, you fathers, who of you, if your child asks for an egg, is going to give him a serpent? I forget the other half of that. There's another one. But then he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, did he call you evil? Yes. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it of him? My prayer as we close worship today is that we are yearning for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we are giving up on our old way of life, that we're walking in newness of life, that we are rebuking the ways of the world and walking in the Spirit. Because outside of that, there is no salvation. Amen?